Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, possibly on CIUT, possibly on one of our community stations all the way across the country, which are, as always, very, very appreciated, possibly on our podcast or on uh, off the website as well. Uh, we have a bit of an odd show today. Not odd because the guests are odd. Not <laughs> odd because the guests are odd. We are a little bit, yeah. Also odd, but that's that's not why it's odd. It's odd because uh, essentially uh, I've been renditioned off and we have another we have another podcast or another show coming in and, and somewhat outnumbering me here. I have uh, two members uh, of the uh, Open Kwong Door podcast, which is PJ Kwong and Paul Door have joined me. Uh, I know Paul directly through, uh, and Stefan as well, we all sort of bump into each other a lot and do some other stuff together over at the Center for Social Innovation, uh, which I frequently joked before, uh, just to let people know, we are not actually officially sponsored by CSI. They don't pay us to promote them. It's just that we've cornered the market on really awesome people, and so we just keep having CSI people on. Well, we, we have a, a, a lot of uh, guests on our podcast from CSI, so I think we're unofficially promoting them all the time as well. <laughs> we really got to figure out uh, how to get them to pay us. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Anyhow, so uh, uh, with a brief introduction, then I essentially just want to throw it to you guys for, for as long as you would like to take it. Uh, today is going to be a very relaxed show. Well, as relaxed a show as any show hosted by me can be um and really like what i was doing and paul and i've been chatting about this for a while and it was something i wanted to to talk about but it's something that's sort of it it's a bit of a it's it's related to the environment in a bit of a tangential way but i think it's really important to discuss it and sort of the end of summer is where quote unquote coming back to school is the absolute perfect time uh every week we we talk about tons of you know it's been politics recently and we've had uh climate change constantly and, and it's all very 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 important but uh everybody needs a break a little bit so we're going to take a partial mm-hmm. break from that today uh what paul and pj have come to talk to us about is the role of storytelling essentially their podcast and a lot of the work that they do they are storytellers they help promote other storytellers Tellers tell their story. Uh, the one-liner uh, on the podcast says a podcast, or on the website says a podcast for curious people. Um, so I would like to then just throw it to you guys. What is the role of storytelling in our human communication, and why is this of such such interest to you? Uh, well, I think it's such interest to to me. I won't speak for both of us. That I might you can, uh, I might get in trouble. <laughs> um, but for me, really, because I'm I'm not only involved in the podcasting world but also uh, the storytelling, uh, live storytelling world with uh, our friend, Stefan. And, uh, and just I'm a writer and I uh, have a film background. So I don't know, like maybe about two years ago, I just started realizing that the, the common thing between all of these was, was really just storytelling. And I did ta- it did take a little while just because it sounded pretentious or something like that in some way. <laughs> I'm a storyteller, but I didn't know how to dis- – when somebody says, well, what do you do? Uh, it was the only sort of word to me that may- like encompassed all of these things. But how it, it is in culture, then when I started – when I kind of thought about the storytelling idea and, and you just see it everywhere. It's in marketing. It's in politics. It's in – just it's it's everywhere it's not just arts it's not just somebody telling a story or writing a book or or you know making a music or something it really is is sort of everywhere and we've been able to explore this with our podcast so uh and the podcast i co-produce and co-host with pj and i'm pj hi pj hi there paul hi darren thanks for having us Absolutely welcome. do you know when i think about environment and when i think about storytelling first of all environment isn't just climate change and recycling environment is energy, it's all of us. So I think that when we're looking to change people's ideas and opinions about the world in which we live, the best way to do it is with a compelling story. So if you can demonstrate to somebody that they should be uh, adopting 
um, a different way of doing things. The best way to do it is to give them an example of, of why. So mm-hmm. I'm not a live sto- storyteller per se, although um, I'm a sports writer and a um, um, I'm a personality. (laughs) I'm not really. Um, But I think that the best way to sort of explain to people and children and grownups and people who think that they're not ever going to shift their point of view is to really give them um, a reason why. And the best way to do it is to to craft a a story um, to include people. And if you have a sense of humor about things, so much the better. Mm. So, you know, I just was uh, – thinking about it in terms of uh, an idea that a teacher of mine kept trying to, a writing teacher kept trying to bang over uh, my head to get this into my head in a way is that the more specific you can make something, the more universal it actually becomes and the more personal it becomes. And uh, it wasn't until I think I started trying to write, I just said, okay, forget it. Let's, let's try and write uh, personal stories or something that is really what's really important to me. And then that's really where people started to respond to the work that I was putting out there. So to me, likewise, sometimes, you know, if you think of the environment or you think of of certain causes that everybody should really be uh, concerned about or thinking about or or taking action about, sometimes it's hard. Like, where's the way in when there's this sort of large uh, uh, thing or conversation? To me, a way in is breaking it up with these Mm. personal stories and trying to, uh, you know, see why it's important to people. And can I just say one thing? Mm. I, it's terrible. You're right. We're, you we're, you're not going to talk. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, you're I, not going to talk. My today. goal today is actually to talk as little as possible. So go ahead. Oh, that's never my goal. Um, so I think that the first thing that I want to challenge you on, Paul, is that you mm. no longer – and you didn't start trying to write. You just wrote. Mm-hmm. Because I think the minute somebody puts try to in front of it, it gives them a, a way out. Mm. So if you just say – I am going to – not I'm going to try to recycle. I'm going to recycle mm. um, or whatever it is. The minute you say try to, it implies to me um, that y- you have a way out. So, mm-hmm. And you don't have any you, – you're a take-no-prisoners kind of writer. So I don't think you tried to. I think you just started to. There. I've said it. I'll stop. Uh, I'm done. PJ, a.k.a. Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I had one thing uh, that I was thinking about, and one of them was the, you know, the uh, the relationship of sort of what it is to be like, you know, and, and we'll we'll just let's just give let's just give each other a pass that that calling each other storytellers today it is not pretentious. We're just gonna we're just go ahead and gonna own that. So, as a uh, you know, as a professional storyteller. Um, it seems to me that something doing something like a storytelling podcast that gets into something that's very personal and something that involves a lot of narrative and something that's like uh, exposition and somebody's personal exposition um, and being in the world of 2015 and being forced to promote such a thing on a platform such as Twitter. It seems to me that these are uh, extreme I opposites. I love Twitter. Dan. And, and what is it like trying to promote, <laughs> you know, a thoughtful consuming discussion that requires you to sit down and absorb yourself in something on a platform that, uh, that essentially, well, not just Twitter, but on, on essentially a, a, a suite of platforms that are of the exact opposite. So uh, can I, can I just take that? I, uh... I'm tied to the I'm tied to the headphones, so you're lucky because you're going to go after my Twitter, which I love. <laughs> uh, I I'm going to throw around another uh, pretentious word mm. that I think is actually getting overused now. So, but whatever. Awesome. Is that uh, it? <laughs> close. Um, authenticity. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, okay, we're 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 inundated with so many bits and pieces of information, and it's hard to parse through all of these things some, sometimes to understand what's important, what should I be paying attention to. 
And but in a, in another way, what I like about the podcast, about doing podcasting, is that you get to sit down with somebody, and it's not a five minute interview where they've got to fit in every soundbite of what they're about. To me, it's an opportunity to be able to sit down and get into what you're. First of all, we're, I don't think either one of us are interested in like the expose of like where's the um, shock in what you're doing or to anything like that. We're just really interested in people and what why they do what they do and just having that long form kind of interview stuff it just lets people kind of relax and and explain their story and kind of get into these personal reasons and to me that's much more uh, or to me personally it's much more effective and it's because you're hearing somebody's being authentic and and understanding why they are doing what they're doing it's kind of like a, a show don't tell thing, I think, a little bit. Because I mean, if you ask me, and and we have you you interviewed Stefan and I for our sort of a, for our about us uh, about us page. But if you ask me, you know, Darren, give me your elevator pitch, or or you know, tell me about what you do. I hate that question. Oh yeah, because so uh, I because I'll give you inevitably too much detail because I don't know how to sum it up. But anyway, it's very it's a very complicated question that I, I I want to do because I'm trying to promote what we do. But at the same point, I hate answering it because it's like, oh, okay, which I have to check these tick boxes and and it's so annoying. But you could actually learn a lot more about me or I could learn a, more, a lot more about you about just sitting at a coffee shop and talking about nothing. And I think that's really what the point is. It's not the – what's the what's the ideal version of you that you've packaged into this soundbited, pre-prepared idea that you want to present to me like you're trying to sell me a car? Uh, I'm going to learn by observing you and I can only do that when you're comfortable and in your natural habitat. And I, I, I think that really does sort of – I get it what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally get it. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like an old man right now. <laughs> um, you are old. I know, but uh, I I think the other thing with these interviews that I find just again very rewarding and, and something that is related to what you're saying is, we're you're also or I try in my interviews and and I think PJ does too. Although I w- I don't want to speak for her again. You're just – you're really listening to somebody and I think that is something that is – it's almost a lost art in a way mm-hmm. to just – because everybody's so busy trying to put out their their information that when you just sort of sit down and listen to somebody and there's sort of little tricks and, and things that I've learned along the way of, of interviewing people that to me around like 20, 15, 20-minute 20 mark, you just can feel sometimes the person th- sort of thinking, oh, it's – they're, this guy's really listening to me and you see them sort of relax and then that to me is that you get even kind of deeper into what somebody's story is. You know, I find that um, as far as being a storyteller is concerned, I was a skating coach for a very long time and um, before that uh, or around the same time, I was a mother. I am a mother. So, But those two things started simultaneously and for me, um, storytelling of any kind is a natural extension of in my life, parenting and coaching. Mm-hmm. So if I want to get you to do something, I have to convince you that it's actually in your best interest to do it. So when you're a skating coach, you have to convince somebody that um, taking their feet off the ground and hurling themselves into the air is the best possible thing they can do for themselves. It's not always easy to do. And even, you know, I find that when we're trying to, when I'm trying to book guests for, for podcasts, um, I have to be able to craft the story in such a way so that they understand that what they're doing is A, for the greater good, and B, um, that it it is in their best interest. It may not feel like it at first. So you have to ease into 
um, capturing people's stories and capturing the essence of who they are. And along the way, I hate that question too. What do you do? You know what? I make money. That's what I do. It's just easiest that way. Pretty much I'll do anything for money. Well, almost anything. <laughs> almost, almost. So it's funny. In this, in this vein, I um, belonged to a women's uh, sort of business group at one time. Um, don't ask me why. And, you know, I, there were all kinds of people who had, you know, I'm an Avon representative. I, um, I run a graphics design thing. I do like all these people. And then there was one woman who was a pampered chef consultant, mm. business cards and everything. And I thought, you know what, if she can be uh, somebody, I want to be a somebody too. So I came up with the term uh, word broker. So I said, PJ Kwong, word broker. It's on my website. It's on my business cards. And I go, wow, that's great. You know, is there a word broker, you know, Association of America? And I said, I made it up because <laughs> I wanted to come up with a one word something that described everything that I do. So, you know, I'm a word broker. I read them. I write them. I speak them. And that pretty much says everything that I do in my life. So find something that says one word that's who you are. And believe me, it's lots more simple. I think my hyphen would be militant nerd. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? That says everything, doesn't it? <laughs> it pretty much does. I like it. We're, we're one shy, Paul. What's yours? Uh, <laughs> on the spot, no pressure. Come on, on live spot. radio. Let's go, buddy. Uh, no, I, I don't – because I'll say another pretentious word. <laughs> Do you know what I think word. you are? The Walking Man. Uh-huh. I oh, really yeah. do, which is the title of your book. Yeah. But you are somebody who goes from – three words, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, it's your word broker's one, and that's much more clever. But uh, The Walking Man is somebody – who goes from topic to topic and place to place, and that's you. Mm. There, yeah. boom, done. So uh, uh, our tech, who usually only gets to, to chime in when he's telling us what music is, which he's going to be doing in about three minutes, actually, wants to jump in. Edward, what did you have to say, buddy? Um, well, I want to say um, I know Albert Einstein. Um, I'm, I'm a big physics guy. That's my major. Um, he's once said that any theory, um, no matter how good it is, it's only finished when you can explain it to a child. Mm. So when something's simple enough that you get in a few sentences, even a child can understand it. So I think any story that you can't sum up in a few sentences very quickly, I don't know if you fully grasp even kind of what you want to say, or I don't know if the audience will grasp it, Mm. because you have to be able to get it kind of the main idea of it, the heart of it in that small sentence. It's usually how I feel anyways. And I think that's different from what we were saying about the elevator pitch. That's that's it's a different thing. I think mm. you're like you said you're we're, you're getting to the heart of it, and that sort of means much more than I'm going to sell you in the in thirty seconds or less in the in this uh, pitch. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna about two or three minutes. We're gonna go to our first music break. When we come back, uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in now, you are listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT, or possibly one of our partner stations, or possibly the podcast, or <laughs> uh, you might have hacked my email. There's a million ways you could be listening to the show right now. Um, and what we're going to do when we come back is there, there was a story and I, I, I fired a few off to these guys last night and, uh, and Paul came back to me and, and picked uh, one that I think was absolutely perfect uh, of an environment story. I, you know, we can't avoid it the entire show. Um, <laughs> and nor should we. Nor should we. Nor should we. But uh, um, uh, and it, it was really interesting and it was a it was a, I believe it was an op-ed. Uh, I've got it in front of me here. But it was it posted uh, – I believe it was – yeah, from somebody that works for, for Greenpeace it appears. Uh, posted on The Guardian. Very interesting, very short article called The Protest Movement is Failing. It's fighting the same old battles with the same poor results. And that's by Deborah, uh, I believe, Doan uh, or Doan or something. Uh, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that because a lot of that has to do, I think, a lot of the points that Deborah makes in that article in The Guardian, it was out just a couple of days ago, um, I think really relate in a big 
way to sort of tie in sort of activism and a lot of the people in my space, in my professional space, uh, to what we're talking about right now. Um, but that'll be when we come back, right before we go to our music break. The very last thing, uh, I'm sure you both you guys saw uh, on uh, the news and all over social media uh, was the angry, you effing liar, whatever, uh, conservative guy, mm, right? Yeah. That was on the news and he was screaming at reporters. He came out of a Harper event mm. and oh, he was yeah. screaming, you're bleepy, bleepy, bleep, bleep, bleep at the reporters. And of course, a lot of people, and the reason I wanted to bring this up um, was that a lot of people's reaction to that was, see, look what an idiot Harper supporters are, because obviously a lot of the stuff the guy was saying was true. And, and if you dig a little bit deeper and you did a little bit more reading, even just within that ha- hashtag, you would see that a lot of people with uh, tons of journalists have ghost uh, CBC uh, uh, like supporter email accounts so that they can see what campaign material is journalists uh, because they're so secretive about it. And so they sort of they have these ghost accounts that will go and they'll get these fundraising letters. And a lot of the stuff that this guy was saying was stuff that essentially that was coming right out of these letters. The letters are saying, you know, the mainstream media is on the side of the, the, you know, the the other parties, and they're against us, and don't believe what they're saying, and it, and it's this really, really scary sort of Gestapo, you know, plug your ears and whatever, or when you mm-hmm. see like really dangerous cults and stuff like that, I, that was really the thing. So you have to give the guy some slack. So, but even before I saw that, but especially when I had seen that, my reaction was, oh, that poor man. He's been so caught – like my immediate reaction was what an idiot. My immediate reaction was that poor man has been so uh, brainwashed that he that he's in a position where he has willingly plugged his own ears, not to – not agreeing with me. I'm not, I'm not being an, an ass here and saying that oh, because he doesn't agree with me, he's, he's – what a poor man, how stupid he is or something. But like he's been so thoroughly just uh, soaked – in the, what he's been fed from this one source uh, to the point that it's, he's successfully been convinced to shut out all other sources. And, and, and it was one of sympathy and wanting to help him was my reaction. And I think a lot of that came from that idea of this sort of storytelling thing and, and a lot of the experience that I've had when I've come to some of the other uh, storytelling events that I've done that, that you, Paul, and Stefan and stuff have run, which is that it's really hard to have a poor opinion of somebody you know well. And sometimes you, I mean, sometimes you can, and of course there's exceptions, but I think, I think you'll know what I mean in the sense that it's, it's, it's hard to just dismiss somebody that, you know, you, you know, they're kids and and you, you went to school with their, uh, with their mother or whatever it was. And when, when there's all that, it's very hard to sort of in that way that sort of is very branded, you know, the internet, which is, oh, just dismiss someone, you're an idiot. Um, And I think so, my point was, and I realized that was a long way to get around to it, but my point was essentially was that, especially in that political space, especially when we're leading up to an election, or especially when we're out trying to advocate for our beliefs, it's incredibly important to actually connect with the people that you're speaking to, uh, or there will be no dialogue. It's not even so you can have a constructive dialogue, it's or or there will be no dialogue. Um, So I just talked for about four minutes straight, uh, but that was my one sort of prepared (laughs) statement. Um, So in about two or three minutes, we'll go to a break, but I'd love to get a reaction to that from you guys first. Well, uh, uh, I mean, to me, uh, it is it is interesting to, uh, again, if you're thinking of the storytelling or, or narratives that are being created, and uh, and I know we've sort of talked a lot about this, and, and it's what one of the things that you guys are doing is trying to get at what is actually sort of happening, because if you just look at, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to slag on, on the, on the media, everybody does it, but it, there are just like very specific, like, from that guy's perspective, I don't agree with what you know he was saying or or anything like that. But but at the same time, if you really start looking at all of these different newspapers and these different news sources, it's really hard to kind of again parse out to understand the where like where they're coming from because they're kind of crafting their own narrative in a way. Right. So 
uh, it is kind of hard to like. I mean, what do you do? Do you just like this 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 gentleman just kind of go? Well, I've just made my choices and my decisions, and that's what I'm going to believe, and that's what I'm going to pay attention to. That's dangerous because I think it's like what you said. It it takes away um, the dialogue really of this sort of back and forth between two people. You know, what happened to – I'm going to sound like an old man again. What happened to the good old-fashioned just back and forth of just people who have very different perspectives but that can have a debate that is actually about – they're saying something. They're not trying to just pr- like change the other person's mind, that they can have a respect for what – for the other person. And again, it's like you said, of knowing that person in, as an individual and just kind of understanding how they came to – these beliefs or something like that, then you can you can have that debate and you can in, you can have those kind of things. But I don't know; it's getting lost. Maybe I'm getting too cynical or something like that <laughs> in my old age. Do you know what I think? Um, uh, I, I'm a little bit with you, Darren, in that I feel for this person because I think that the, when somebody reacts that strongly, more often than not, their overriding emotion is fear. So they're afraid that, quote-unquote, the media is getting away with something or that the media is overtaking uh, a particular position or point of view. So I always feel for people who react that strongly. And a counter to uh, – and in lots of jobs, people said, you're not going to go talk to that person, are you? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. Because if you say, I see that you're very upset, you know, can we talk about it? You have the opportunity to at least understand their point of view, their true point of view, rather than their reactionary fear point of view, which mm-hmm. is the effing this and the effing that. And you have an opportunity to m- maybe if, even if you can't change their mind, you can at least give them something else to think about. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, But I find often that that, that very reactionary uh, uh, way of being is because somebody is – deeply afraid of something you know so i'm with you i feel for the person all right i think that's a really excellent place to leave it thank you pj and of course we've got uh, paul door from the uh, open kwang door podcast uh, joining us today for a bit of an uncharacteristic show but i'm having fun hope you guys are too we'll be right back in a few minutes after this music break edward what are we going to listen to buddy hi uh we got rockland wonderland by kim mitchell not my favorite song, so I'm not sure why I'm playing it, but I like Kim Mitchell. So. <laughs> well, I do that. too. I know. Just not my favorite song. But anyway, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> <laughs>
we're back. Uh, so you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM today. One of our community syndicate partners all the way across the country or possibly SoundCloud, iTunes, or if you're really, really techie, you're using our RSS. Or you might have hacked my email or any of the other ways. You could be, you could be <laughs> in the studio sitting next to Edward with a glass against the door. That could be how you're listening to the show. If you are, you will now be informed that we're speaking to uh, PJ Kwong and Paul Dorr from the Open Kwong Door podcast. Uh, and today we're sort of relating... Uh, storytelling and how that plays a role in sort of human thought and about changing people's minds and about just just opening our minds and just having actual conversations where we can actually exchange ideas. Um, and uh, uh, that's a bit of an opposite for the show because usually the show is just me and Stefan talking at our listeners. And uh, and this is nice. I feel like talking I'm having at. an actual <laughs> – I'm having like a, a more of a conversation conversation today, uh, which is really fun. So what we wanted to do with this section, I'm going to post as usual all of the stories, anything we specifically point out and mention. I do my very, very best, especially any articles we reference, to link all of them on the show post after the, uh, after the show. So if you're interested in reading this for yourself, check out the show post. It's at greenmajority.ca. Um, essentially, again, this was the article I teased just before the break there. It's uh, called The Protest Movement is Failing. Uh, it's Fighting the Same Old Battles with the Same Poor Results. And it's by uh, Deborah Doen, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, anyway, it's, in the, it's from The Guardian. Uh, she opens the, uh, the, uh, the piece uh, by saying, um, uh, you know, describing how she'd been involved in a number of movements she, uh, and how she was uh, interviewed by the ecologist years ago. And she, she used to think it was, uh, but has now started sort of seeing that essentially – with a few campaign uh, wins, there's sort of there tends to be like six or seven losses. And while there are victories, and those victories are hard fought and and important, um, that it still seems like the overall battle is being lost. And so she comments on a little bit of reason uh, why. So what we're going to do is I'm going to sort of uh, read a little bit here from from each of the three points that she makes, uh, and then Paul and PJ are going to comment on me. So the first point that she makes is something called the thin yes. Um, and she said that a lot of the reasons why they've been uh, – a, a lot of these uh, activism movements have failed is because it was short-term short change or short-term action uh, that did not also come with a long-term shift in values. And so therefore, once the immediate thing that was asked for uh, sort of expires or has been worked into the system, that following decisions or following actions don't, don't – the, the system didn't change. You just flicked that one switch and all the other switches continue you know, the rest of the way, which means that you have to fight for every single win. And and that there's not this sort of systems change, uh, not climate change, which was a, a big uh, uh, chant at a lot of the climate uh, movements. So there's a great quote here, and I'm just going to read this paragraph. Uh, it's got a quote by uh, one of the founders of the Occupy movement. So it's just Micka White. Uh, so I'm just reading this paragraph now directly from the Guardian article, and then we'll go to Paul and PJ. Uh, Micka White, one of the founders of the Occupy movement, has also expressed his doubts. In a recent interview, he said, quote, Occupy was the perfect example of a social movement that should have worked according to the dominant theories of protest and activism, and yet it failed. Instead, he thinks we need to address the issue of belief. Again, quote, what I am proposing is a type of activism that focuses on creating a mental shift in pe people, basically an epiphany. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, you know, I think this, again, relates back to a lot of things that we were talking about in the, uh, earlier in, in regards to uh, narrative, because I really like that about the the mental shift in people, and to me that's related to empathy, and that's related to um, all kinds of things. So, and there's a psychological element to it. I'm no expert on the the activist, um, you know, uh, different movements and things like that. But you know, I want to bring up one of the guests, and I believe he's been on the show before, uh, Rob Shirky, repeatedly. Uh, I think he's up to three now. Yeah, and. Uh, 
that's that's probably one too many. Maybe, maybe one too many. <laughs> you know, he's probably don't tell him. <laughs> um, but he he came on our podcast and he talked a lot about that. That I didn't really understand. Like I understood what he did from a uh, from a distance, and I, I just because his uh, gas nozzles and putting on like the way you have uh, warning labels on uh, cigarette packets. He put it on the gas nozzles when you'd go and fill up your car. And I, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Like that's an, that's an interesting idea. But then when he got into his background and that he has sort of studied different kinds of like psychology and things like that. And just when he said to me, well, you're putting, you're putting this in people's hands and they're looking at it. And he talks a lot about that it's not something that is designed because, you know, people say, well, w- what's that going to do? You just put on these warning labels. What, what's the difference? But he's talking more of long of going after the, the larger sort of uh, narratives that are going on and to kind of change people's uh, – the psychology of it. And it just – that just really kind of struck me. And I, I just – I understand that that sort of approaching things sometimes – uh, when people don't really know, they don't. They, you just need a way in. You need a way in for people to get into what, what all of these these kind of things mean. So, again, just like personal stories or breaking it down into these these strands that people can relate to and see how they can make these changes in their in their just day to day lives. I I don't know. That's that's one of the things I was thinking about when after reading that article. When you say the word epiphany, it's a very personal kind of word for people. And as much as I love social media, and I really do, it's a double-edged sword. So social media offers people the opportunity to share and engage in a community, but it also means that right off the top, before your idea is completely fleshed out, you are exposed to the criticism and the uh, uh, harsh criticism at times of others. So I think that you may have a personal epiphany and you may put it out there um, and then only to be beaten down by people, whereas um, before when there are charismatic leaders, so let's go back to like civil rights movement and um, Dr. Martin Luther King, charismatic leader, and it was this group to the next group to the next group. So people were already well invested before any of the publicity arrived. Now we've almost got publicity before people can really organize or galvanize. So any effort to, towards change often is met with ridicule. So people lose heart. So I really think that um, people need to take their epiphany, they need to make it work in their own life, whatever their change is, and then bit by bit, before exposing it to the world before it's ready, they need to really grow the plan, hatch the plan. And I think that that's often what happens is people just lose heart and it's too bad. Mm-hmm. And I think along the lines of what you were saying, and, and to bring it back, uh, Paul, to your reference to to Rob, actually a perfect example of that. And I, I actually don't even think Rob likes it when I tell this story, because, <laughs> but it's 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 true, and it was interesting, and it's a perfect example of what you guys were just talking about. So when I first heard of Rob, Rob cold emailed the show uh, and said, or no, I don't actually, I don't even think it was him. I think it was one of his volunteers at the time. Cold emailed the show and said, "Hey, we got this guy doing this campaign. Would you be interested in interviewing him?" And so I read the brief that they that they sent, and I was like, "Get out of here, really." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, this is a goofy idea. And 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 he doesn't like mm-hmm. – I don't think he likes it when I say that. But like on, that was my honest response. And I'm, and I'm happy to have been proved wrong uh, because it's turned out to be a great idea. But what I realized – and this is what you were saying, Paul. Um, what I realized later was that it wasn't that I thought the idea was goofy. It was that I didn't know Rob. I didn't know his team. I didn't know what he was about. I didn't know what sort of man he was. I didn't know where his values were coming from. And I didn't know how incredibly smart he is. Mm-hmm. 
And so when I discounted the idea, I wasn't really discounting the idea. I was discounting that this guy I'd never heard of that I didn't know anything about was capable of making it happen. And that's what I was judging. I was not judging the idea. I was judging him without knowing him. And, and as soon as I met him, my reaction was, oh, wow, this guy knows incredibly what he's doing. He's really thought this out. He might actually be able to do this. And so it was really – it was always about my judgment of him and never about his idea. Well, well you know, uh, to me what was interesting with him is, is – uncovering all of these layers and it's like we were saying before is that uh, I think he would be it would be hard for him to do an elevator pitch and really kind of understand what he's doing because then again when because when you look at his background he's a lawyer he he understands the uh, you know municipal um, law and how to go about sort of putting these uh, changes or these things that he's he's putting forth he's starting at at the that level and what's starting to happen over the last year i was just like oh this is really amazing is that he started having small successes all over the place but then all of those small successes actually kind of started it's like he's like make, creating a movement i'm like I, I'm, I'm certain of it but then when i went further with him and understood the personal reasons as to why he's doing it because of, uh, you know, his personal story with his family and, and all that kind of thing. I just thought this is very powerful because he, he, he not only has the smarts and the intelligence and uh, the, the understanding of a specific thing he wants to do, he has that personal investment in it. And I think that that's infectious and that, that can really draw sort of more people in. All right. So let's move on to the, to the second point here. Um, and I'm thinking – I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be actually more coherent for me to just keep quoting from the article rather than trying to summarize this on the fly. So uh, point two here was uh, – again, uh, reading from the Guardian article was uh, – ca- uh, point two was campaigning can't tackle the system. Uh, so again here, quoters just quoting from the article. I know from experience that successful campaigns need a perfectly clear ask, i.e. change X law. But often when we need large-scale systemic changes, not simple changes in law – uh, sorry, but often we need large-scale uh, systemic changes, not simple changes in law. When I campaigned at, to end the food speculation in commodities, I knew full well that legal cha- changes were, uh, we sought weren't going to solve the problems in our global food system. Spectators were just one piece of a very complex puzzle. Uh, so I'm going to stop there. They say more. And we, we might come back to it. But I wanted to stop there for the point of comment, which is that is that whole idea of – and I think this is sort of what we're getting at with the storytelling thing, which was uh, – you know. A, reality can't be soundbited. Uh, we mm. do it as a shorthand. We do it because we need to. We do it because the technology is centered around uh, this shorthand, this communication shorthand, uh, essentially called soundbites. Um, but they're not they're not just frequently inaccurate. They're not just frequently not as valuable as a more full discussion. Sometimes they can be the direct hamper of a full discussion because you give some of this false sense of completion. We 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 broke we stopped that dam or we stopped this dump or we we you know in other people's cases maybe we stopped that wind farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really tell the story. I don't know. So I mean that idea of trying to c- create these complex stories and it's sort of what I was asking before. But how do you package that and get that to people? Well, you know, I I, I think that. Um Again, it was it was it's similar to what we were talking about, and and what uh, Edward the the tech uh, mentioned about distilling something down, but getting at the heart of it with a word or or a simple idea that a child could understand. And again, to me, I think there's a difference between um, that and an elevator pitch. And I just wonder if it because when we I do with Stefan and uh, another CSI or a former CSI. Uh, uh, Brianne Bennis, we, we put together this storytelling event 
but we were working together for almost a year before that. Not about a storytelling event, just sharing stories with each other and personal stories. So by the time it became a natural progression to then let's just do this event then, why don't we put this on? It was – it all got distilled that whole year of all these complex conversations that we had about what we want and what we're looking for. It got kind of just simply put into this one event. So I don't know. I'm blabbing on right now. But I mean I guess I'm just saying before you can – to me it's empty if you just say, oh, you first go, here's my elevator pitch and then where's the rest of it? But again, getting back to somebody like Rob Shirky – who has this complex idea behind that elevator or that that soundbite that he's selling, it resonates so much more, I feel, on it just on some kind mm-hmm. of subconscious level in some kind of way. I mean, I've been I've been helping him in uh, unrelated to the show, just in my side business, I do film work. And so I've been doing uh, producing some video for him. And so he has this presentation that he did. He did a TED talk and everything. And, uh, uh, and it was an hour. And then he was like, okay, we're get, we got to get this down shorter. I've, I've done a shorter version, we're going to record it. And I was aiming for I think 15 minutes tops at 20. It came in at 38 minutes. Uh, but because you just can't, it's just there's just mm-hmm. too much information. But then at the same point, I mean, I've heard him tell this story now, upwards of 50 in times. Um, and, it, you know, while it's difficult to ask people to sit down and listen to a story in this day, once you start listening to Rob, it's hard to stop. And the reason for that is because it is a story. Mm-hmm. He's not listing facts. He's not, he's not doing a class. Uh, he's storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is so powerful. And I think, that's, I think it's a huge contributing factor to why he's been successful, where other people with other similar ideas have failed. Well, and you're talking about campaigning. And um, in a democracy, the only system we have is to elect people. So and the object of a campaign is to win. So <laughs> you're kind of your, – your hands are tied by what, what you need. How you determine if a campaign is successful is whether you're elected or not. So it's difficult for people who are looking for office to be able to um, do anything other than tell the story that they think that you want to hear. All right, so we're going to go to our music break in just a, a minute here. Um, and when we come back, we're going to deal with the uh, uh, third part, uh, which is combat versus collaboration. So it's the third part of this Guardian Ooh. article. Uh, very, very interesting. And my, I saved the best for last just because it was numerically worked out that way. Um, and then we're going to be back and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. And I have another couple of news stories. So here on this very unconventional uh, episode of The Green Majority, you've been listening to uh, here with uh, PJ Kwong and Paul Dorr from the Open Kwong Dorr podcast. We will have links if you're interested in hearing more from these folks. Uh, or if you're in the Toronto and you'd like to come to a Stories We Don't Tell, which is the story uh, event that uh, Paul was mentioning there. I have told a story at that event. It was not environmental related uh, because it was so very not environmentally related. I'm not going to post it on the podcast. However, if you're super curious about knowing what I would have told that's incredibly personal and was really nervous to say in in front of public and you really want to know that much uh, about my uh, non-environment life, Email the show and I'll send it to you. I'm just not going to put it on the show post. Uh, it was it was rather personal. I will I will share it. It did go on Paul's podcast, but uh, it is not relevant to today's show. Uh, so with all that uh, up and more, uh, we're going to go now to our second and final group music break here on the Green Majority on CIUT. Edward, what are we going to listen to? And please tell me you like it this time. Ah, uh, oof. Um, just I, just lie to me. It's got, Parachute Club. I, I can got tell. a little story about this one. Uh, this is Trooper Raise a Little Hell. We were my family was going to a concert in uh, Peterborough for them. 
So my dad played this album like every day, three times a day for like the week before. And then like on the car ride up, he played it like three times in a row. <laughs> and like I got to the concert and I was super excited. And then I felt physically ill every time they played like this song. Cause I just heard it so many times. <laughs> Another well, song. So let's listen to it let's, again. Let's, let's, I want to make again. a really important note here. Yeah. Edward chooses the music. I know. So when he's telling you today that he's complaining about all of the songs, it's because he is apparently a masochist. Yeah. Next, next week's going to be much better. Um, <laughs> when we're not here. Yeah, we're, yeah. it's going to be much better. But this, this one, I like it. Just makes me ill. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here it is. back you're listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 fm or one of our wonderful community partners uh, or our podcast all the information for how you can find out how you can listen to the podcast in case maybe you're driving right now uh maybe you're uh you're uh, doing the dishes who knows what you're doing uh but you're you're busy and you're not listening on podcast which means that sometimes you miss a show so uh what you're going to want to do is go to greenmajority.ca uh and you can figure out how to get on the podcast uh easily plugged into whatever uh, uh format you normally use them or you can just download them straight off the website uh, and also, Stefan, uh, right before he left, Stefan's again on vacation. Stefan goes on about three vacations for every one weekend. Oh, I guess. that guy. It's not right. Okay. He's, uh, you know, it, it, contrary to what it might sound like, he's not rich. He just keeps getting, uh, he just keeps getting interesting opportunities presented. So he's off on, uh, he's off on there. But right before he left, him and his brother Dave helped us produce our third and final uh, for now our temporarily final, uh, we did a quick burst of more climate cartoons. You can go and check those out on the website as well. In fact, please do, because that helps us out very much. So if you would uh, if you would like to support the show in a way, adding views to those videos will certainly help us. And here's the good news. They're short. 
In fact, <laughs> the most recent one is is just barely under three minutes, and that's the longest sh- uh, episode we've ever done uh, so far. So they're very short. If nothing else, just go and like hit the repeat button so you get a bunch <laughs> of views. If I did it, it would be a, uh, unethical, but you're welcome to do it, and that's entirely up to you. Uh, so check that out, greenmajority.ca. Uh, but before I eat into too much of our very little remaining time, uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, again, we're uh, talking to uh, PJ Kwong and Paul Dorr from the Open Kwong Door podcast. Uh, and just storytelling, basically, is today's topic and how that relates to a wide number of things. Uh, we're down num- uh, to number three of a three-part article talking about uh, – I'll read the title again. It's the protest movement is failing. It's fighting the same old battles with the same old poor results. Uh, and point three in this article, which I would like you folks to comment on now, is called Combat versus Collaboration. And again, for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to quote directly from the article here because I don't think I can improve on the fly on on the wording here. So directly from the article, campaigners need to find ways to engage either directly or indirectly while maintaining their values. This isn't to be confused with the empty stakeholder dialogue of recent years, but long-term change won't happen solely through protest and with only half of the audience in the room. That applies to both sides. Can businesses, for example, let activists in the room without manipulating them? And are they prepared to listen? Well, uh, you know, it gets back to what we were talking about is just listening to people and understanding that, yes, like we – it's like how do you reach a point where you just go, okay, we're all, we are all in this together in some kind of way. So how do we – we got to figure out a way to speak to each other. Hmm. And, I don't, you know, I don't want to keep getting back to Rob Shirky. We don't want you to either, but here you go. Yeah. There's, there's going to be a four-month ban on Rob Shirky. Yeah, I, I think, think there might after be. The show. Sorry, Rob. I, I, no, I'm very good friends with the guy. I, I love the guy. So, um, but but just having that dialogue of just kind of going, okay, um, coming in with that initial sort of, oh, this is this is a weird, I strange idea, or not dismissing it right away, and the further you go in, for somebody from a, the perspective of a politician that he's trying to talk to or trying to um, get on board their support is to understand, oh, this, this is a complex and he, there's, it's very, um, like you were saying earlier, well thought out and makes sense on so many different levels. So how do you, in terms of these politicians or people that you, you need to change the minds of, and I don't want to say get, get onto your side, I don't know if with their sides and all that kind of stuff. But w- how do you do it? You do it with stories, I think. You do it with, um, you know, attaching some kind of personal uh, personal aspect to it. We're requiring people to change. So if we're going to get them to change, you've got to not tell them how difficult it's going to be to change, um, even though you might know that it's going to involve some steps. You have to have the compelling story be the thing that convinces them that the pain of the change is worth it. So if you're not somebody who can convince me, then I, I'm, I'm not buying in. There. I've said it. Rob Shirky or not. Well, you know, and, and uh, I think one of the, the, the key words in that, in that uh, piece that you re- read from is engaging the people that you're trying to talk to. Mm. It's not just changing minds. It's that it's not just sort of saying, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, and then I'm going to go back to my life. It's like you were saying, PJ, is how do you actually go, okay, this might be painful a little bit, mm. but w- we have to do it, and this is what, what's happening. I, I'm being very vague, but I'm – I I like just, it. Because it's, it's a complex thing to talk about, yeah. and, and I'm no expert, again, on all mm. this uh, campaigning kind of thing, but, you know, that's what you got to – 
think well, about. Well, I, I want to bring it back to something <clears throat> a little bit uh, a little bit odd. It's a bit of an odd example, and it's a topic I generally try and stay away from on the show just because it's usually not relevant, unless you know the Pope makes it releases another encyclical. Um, but it, it it's very similar, I think, in a lot of ways. It's useful. I think it's useful in this space to make examples to religion um, because uh, it's a, a perfect example of a, 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 a test case, if you will, of sort of you know people being in their own entrenched sort of places and just sort of deciding a priori that they are right. Now, this is not to slight anybody and anybody's beliefs, but, you know, various groups of people believe various different things. They're exclusive, so they can't all be right. Um, and so the reaction is uh, generally just, just not talk about that. And I think that on the on the issue of religion, that's probably actually a good thing. I think my personal position, just speaking personally now, is that people are welcome to believe whatever they wish. Uh, just don't force it on me, I, you know. But when we're talking about Reality. When we're talking about demonstrable reality, things like climate change and pollution, these are these are actual problems that we can point to. And no, no, no this isn't my personal spiritual position. This is a demonstrable fact, and we're all going to be hurt by this. Uh, but people still, I find, react to it in a very similar manner. Like coming back to that gentleman of no, 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 no. You're saying something that doesn't fit within my worldview, so therefore you're you're in on the conspiracy to cheat people like me or something. And and. I don't know. I, I mean, we've had such bad success <laughs> in the religion case. I, 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 I'm worried that that spells doom for us and our ability that there is an upper limit to just how many people can are even going to be willing to have that dialogue. Well, I, you know, I, I'm curious to see what what you think about this because, you know, if you're if you're talking about empathy, and we're talking about stories and personal stories, and the ability to kind of make not again not change somebody's mind, but but to have some kind of find some kind of middle ground when you do learn or understand where somebody is coming from uh, personally, how do you create that sort of personal story in terms of regarding like the environment or climate change or something that is it's not a person that you can explore their backstory and their understanding is that how I, this is a large question I don't expect an answer, <laughs> but just to 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 create that that same kind of empathy in people that can exist once they understand um, a person's like wh- why they do what they do. Mm. You know, when we're talking about all of these things, what I think that we're talking about that is the bigger question is leadership. We're talking about. Uh, somebody who's a charismatic leader. We're talking about somebody that people, again, can kind of get behind that makes sense to them. So as long as, first of all, religions are far older than the environmental movement. So you've got to give yourself a little bit of time to sort of grow and develop, right? So that's part of it. But I think also that people need to, um, they're they're looking for somebody, a, a figurehead, if you will, that makes sense to them, that they can get behind. Right now, there are so many different positions, so many different points of view. There's a business point of view that's in op- direct opposition to uh, an environmentalist point of view. So people are, are often confused. So again, we're looking for leadership, clear leadership, I think, is what will help turn the tide. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think my, my personal uh, experience with a lot of these issues and, and anyone I've ever spoken to and anyone I've ever seen spoken to about these topics, um, I've yet to find the person that goes, yeah, I don't care about the environment. It's always, yes, 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 I agree with you. Those are important, but not imp- as important as my job. And so what I find fascinating about this whole thing and, and uh, looking at the time now, I think this will be my last question to the both of you. Um, uh, so, to, uh, you know, take it take it as your final comments, please. Uh, okay. <laughs> that would be um, that would be around the idea of just, you know, even being able to sort of 
uh, just get this get at this idea that people are, essentially it's not a case you know as much as it's framed in the media it's not a case of there's this subgroup of special interest people that care about the environment and then there's everybody else or that there's some people that do and some people that don't everybody does but enough of us have been fooled into thinking that this is an opposition to our ability to have a good job that we have to let you know corporations take over and make up all their own rules and let them get away with everything so that i can so that i can have my job and feed my family um, we would all be on the same side, which is actually why the show is called The Green Majority, because it's a – well, it, under under me, this was not – I didn't make up the name, but under me, I've said that the name is essentially a joke. Uh, it's meant to say that unless you're a sociopath, you're an environmentalist, because if you breathe air and drink water, you're an environmentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's, it's, so it's that. I think it's, this, it's this, this trick that's been pulled. And in fact, we are all on the same side here. It's just we have different agree, uh, ideas about how to solve these problems, but we don't disagree about the problems. We're not actually on different sides. That's my final comment. I I don't actually think everybody does care about the environment. I honestly, I talk to lots of people. I look around, and and there are people who who should care, but they're not convinced that it's an immediate problem. They're convinced that it's their grandchildren's grandchildren grandchildren kind of problem, and that by the time that the water is all gone, they'll be long gone. So really, why should I care about it? Not mm-hmm. I, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that we have to have stronger storytellers who can help people understand that the decisions that we're making today, it's like looking after your teeth. You look after your teeth as a teenager. When you're in your 80s, you still have your teeth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But people often as teenagers can't really see their way into their 80s, so don't really understand what that means. Mm. So you have to tell a strong enough story as people are evolving so that they understand that the decisions that are being made now are in fact important. So I'm not uh, as optimistic as you are that everybody cares. Uh, well, I don't. Yeah, again, I don't mean to end on a, on a cynical note, but I, I understand what both of you are saying, and that to me, what's really unfortunate is that whether it is in politics, especially with uh, the stuff we don't have to get into in the United States with the Republican Party at the moment, um, but and because it, it happened in the city uh, with with our last mayor, I think, is that in politics and in journalism and in everything, there's your right wing journalists and your your left wing journalists. The, uh, everywhere in the culture, you're asked to take a side. You're either with them or you're over here. So I know what you mean when you're saying, yeah, why is the narrative that's been created around the environment or climate change is that, well, these people over here care about the environment and these people over here don't care about the environment because isn't there – where's the middle ground of we all are here and yeah. we all weather – some people uh, um, don't necessarily say, I don't care about the environment. They're just – unaware or ignorant of what uh, how much it is sort of required yeah the argument for for energy is always when you hear to listen to conservatives whether it be politicians or or sort of yeah. lifelong conservative voters the, they're never saying i mean with the exception of some really goofy people uh, who have some very funny ideas about wind energy generally speaking none of them are saying you know solar energy is terrible this is a bad idea and we don't want it under any circumstances what mm. their argument is oh it's not ready i don't want to pay extra for my energy okay so if it turned out that it was ready or we could make it ready I'm, it's sounding like we're in agreement that this is what we want. Yeah, Your yeah. only argument is that you don't think we can do it yet. Well, I've got good news for you if that's the case because <laughs> we can. You're just, bad, yeah. you're just badly informed. Mm-hmm. But, it's a, but, it, but that's what the people say and then where these beliefs, as you brought up earlier, PJ, about this fear reaction, about this, mm-hmm. this emotional knee-jerk reaction, is that usually what people say are their reasons are not their actual reasons. And that's, that's yeah. the reality of, of, having, of not having a real dialogue. 
so we've got only uh, about one minute left. I'm just going to do a little uh, uh, probe for uh, next show as well. We've got uh, Liam O'Doherty coming up on the next show, who's uh, who's right now a candidate for a position with the UN, uh, uh, who has been uh, working at a global level for quite some time. He's going to be talking to us too. I also had a bunch of news stories we didn't get to today. So if you'd like to read them, including a very, very fascinating piece about Harper, which I loved. Uh, just as a plug, I won't say anything else. Visit the website, greenmajority.ca. But that is it. Thank you so much to our guests, and, uh, and we'll have a good Green Week. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week on The Green Majority.